The podcast you are about to listen to contains spoilers for the latest episode of American Gods. If you haven't watched the episode yet, we suggest you pause this show until you have. Welcome to Backstage, a podcast from The Shift about the television series American Gods. I'm Brian Huff. And I'm Tori Briggs. And we'll be your hosts on this journey through American mythology. On today's show, episode four, Head Full of Snow. So we start this episode off with a bit more of a modern take on how a god got to America is probably the best way to put it. So we're introduced to a yeah, woman. Yeah, I mean, I keep expecting some like flash to the past or yes, something. Yes, because that's what we've gotten so far, right? With um, Anansi and with... The well, Vikings. The Vikings, we were, were kind of in the back of, you know, back in history. But this time it looks to be slightly more modern. We have a woman who has... Uh, been apparently cooking something. She's going to bake a cake or a Cooking pie. something perfect. Perfect. And she's reaching for a jar, and um, we think she's okay, but it turns out to be that she has fallen. Yeah, I thought this was like a mo- like the Final Destination movie. It was like she- all this buildup, an ominous buildup of her falling, and then she doesn't fall. Yeah, she does not fall, except she does fall. But, but she does, yeah. And we're introduced to Anubis, and Anubis says that he has you know reached out to her because she had followed him. Um, indirectly, interestingly enough, this was not a case where like the followers of Anubis came to America because this is a harder sell, right? Anubis being an Egyptian god, the people who worshipped Anubis didn't necessarily come to America, so they had to come up with a little bit more modern, creative solution for getting you know the story of how he would have gotten to America. Yeah, just to preface this a little bit, these vignettes, right, are used to introduce how gods came to America. Is that right? Yes, that is that is the point. We're trying to figure out. How these modern takes of gods, the whole point is they kind of got stranded to America, right? Everybody kind of immigrated, came to America, and brought their gods with them. So this is supposed to be the story of how Anubis got to America. So in this vignette, um, we th- this lady, I guess, is Egyptian-born. She's currently Muslim, but she was Egyptian-born, and she still her faith still lies kind of in those old Egyptian things Correct. she used to believe in. Right? Yeah, I believe they talk about her grandmother- you know, teaching her yeah. the ways. Yep. Yes. So we get a very accurately depicted way of how Anubis determines whether or not you're going to, you know, persist in the positive. With the heart, pulling the heart out. That's yeah. the way. Okay. And there's that little snarky, because that's always the thing is like, if you're, if you lived your life well, the heart weighs less than a feather. Oh, gotcha. The lighter the heart, the better life you live. Well, there you go. It was, it kind of came out of nowhere. He just jams his hand into her chest and pulls her heart out. And I was like, well, that's a little gory out of nowhere. And she was just kind of like, hey. I was using that. Was that's using what she said. Hey, I was using that. And he's like, no, no, you weren't. You were not. So not nearly as probably the weakest of the God introductions up to this point. Yeah, just as far as like exposition and action and story, there's not... I mean, it's just really low key. It shows a, a, a lady died and it and explains kind of how her faith brought Anubis over to the States and then the scene of her picking the door to her afterlife. 
Well, she didn't pick it herself. I guess she had Anubis. I thought that was very smart on her part. Well, you've been nice to me so far. Why don't you make the choice? She was second guessing and the cat made sure she was going through, gave her a good push. Mm. That little, was that a a Cheshire cat? Cheshire? Or one of those like hairless? I don't know. The Cheshire cat is from like. (laughs) That's from Lady and the Tramp, right? That's like. Oh my God. Alice in Wonderland. Oh, Alice in Wonderland. But there's also the cats in Lady and the Tramp. But that's like a really racist racial trope at this point like the cats this they had is, is that not right not lady in the tramp where are you going with this i thought it was lady in the tramp good thing this is not a disney podcast oh man i, I should be good at disney podcast you should be yeah. you should be you've had like five attempts at it yeah five <laughs> so if you the weakest of of the god introductions i'd say at this point not nothing really super impactful we, we get what anubis is about we get that anubis is kind of a, a voice of reason and probably the the calmest introduction to a god we've gotten up to this point yeah There's i been- think calm is a good way to explain it wasn't that it wasn't fun like fun to watch but it definitely didn't have like the action of the vikings or like the crazy monologue of anansi yeah there was like no death by a thousand arrows yeah <laughs> Yeah, that, and you're, it's nothing's ever going to be as good unless you have death by a thousand arrows. You really just ended up dying from, you know, a jar of peaches, I think is what that was. She's going for peaches. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> something. Uh, she was looking for something for her pie. Yeah. So anyway, um, death by pie, Anubis. Yay. And then we're just kind of thrown back in and we get to meet the sleeping sister. So I think we're back on the belief train. I, I think this episode was lacking any other narrative. Um, I think we talked a bit about how there was no real narrative. There was clearly like they wanted to make some points about race in episode two, but in episode three, they were back on just talking about Shadow's belief, and that became kind of what went all the way through the entire episode. Yeah, we we get, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but towards the end of the episode, there was a long conversation between uh, Shadow and Mr. Wednesday basically about faith and believing and why things happen. Exactly. So we get Chernabog, or sorry, we, let's let's back up again. So, so we meet the sister who's been sleeping. What's her name again? Don't even ask me. Zoria Pala. <laughs> That's how Shadow, he's like, you're, wait, you're the, you were the sleeping sister, Zoria Pala, and then she had to finish it because no one can pronounce yeah, that no name. Yeah, no one can pronounce it. So she goes into this bit of a monologue She's looking through the stars. We actually get introduced to the, the mythos behind the three sisters, and she's talking about the demon that is in the stars that they are trying to stop from eating Earth. Yeah, basically we find out that they're protecting Earth from, what did she call it a demon or a bear? Something chained up in the stars. Yeah, yeah. I think I want to say in the mythos it's a dog, but I don't know if she referred to it directly as a dog in this case, or if she was just you know talking about the evil in the stars. Yeah. But that is the, that is the mythos behind the two or three sisters, depending on which version you you uh, subscribe to. And so we learned a little bit about her and why the sisters are there. And then she plucks the moon out of the sky and gives us a silver coin. And she makes a reference to how he had the father. But this is the daughter, and I believe that is a reference to the gold coin that he received from Mad Sweeney um, oh, at the beginning, okay. or in the beginning of the series. Right? I definitely didn't pick that up when I was watching. I, I wasn't sure what she was referring to, but now you say that, he's only had two magical coins, right, at this point? The, yep. the one from Mad Sweeney and now the moon coin. Yes, the moon coin. We don't know what this moon coin does, but clearly it has some relation to, and does something a little bit different, because she refers to how the daughter is different than the father. Yeah, I like how they represented the the moon with a coin. Uh, it, that's better than some like hunk of cheese or something. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Uh, sorry. Which that, would also that, come from a Disney cartoon. Correct. Did you did you watch Disney on the no, flight here? Uh, I, I'm missing the kids. Uh, re- we're recording on location here in Paris, and the kids are at home, and so I, I, I have no idea, actually. Uh, okay, good. Anyway, so then we're thrown back. He, he is apparently inspired in some way by this conversation that he has with the sister. He goes down. And yeah, he, like some renewed confidence. Yeah, like, and he goes, all right, turn a bog. Let's do this again. And the funny thing is, is he doesn't like double or nothing him. He basically tells him, you can still kill me. Which we go back to that hole where Shadow doesn't seem to care whether he lives or dies. In fact, she even mentions that in the conversation with him about how he seems like a man who doesn't care what about his fate. He doesn't care yeah, whether exactly. he lives or dies. He's kind of at this point in his life with everything that's happened. He he kind of has a death wish a little bit. And but but I loved the conversation and the way he pitched uh, having a rematch with Chernobog, basically calling him an old man, and that it might take more than one swing to get the job done, but that. He's going to get one swing no matter what, but this will allow him to get two swings to make sure, hey, he gets the job done. Yeah, he's like, you've had that bolt gun for 20, 30 years, but again, we're, we're almost this time, I think you and I were questioning whether or not this was the case, but I think now we've been hit over the head with the fact. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, uh, we've been hit over the head with the fact that uh, Shadow clearly does not want to live, does not care whether he lives or dies, and he's willing to... Yeah, you know, if I'm going to take one hit to the head, I might as well take a second hit to the head in order to potentially get you to join Wednesday's side. And that's what happens. He uh, ends up winning the second chess match, and he's going to uh, get Chernobog's hammer, so to speak, to uh, go on this war that we keep getting hinted about. We have no idea what it is at this point, but we at least know that uh, Chernobog is going to be there. Yeah, it basically, he's, he's, he was able to delay the first swing until after they get to Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and the chess match, inter- interestingly, um, Chernobog makes all the same choices during the chess match. He's like, you're up to your same old games, old man. And, and that's how yep. he's able to beat him. Yep, yep. It comes down to an inverse of the situation that Shadow was in in their checker game where he's able to do the, like, corner him and no matter which yep. way he goes, yep. he's going to get he's gonna get jumped. So we end up finding out that he's going to get Chernobog's hammer. Um, it seems to be... At least this is how I read it. Remotely related to the presence of the oldest sister, because Wednesday takes that sister out on a walk, and she feels like oh. she's been duped in some way. Like so, oh, I, I see. This was another thing I didn't I didn't notice. Did Wednesday? Did he know the 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 rematch was going on, and he took the older sister out on purpose? I, that's what I we're strongly led to believe oh, that. That like, makes her a lot of powers sense. were because remember she can see the future. Yes. And so yes. he, yeah. I, th- I thought it was just an excuse to have another rain scene. No, no, though the rain is beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. We Every also, episode has some beautiful rain scene. We also find out that Wednesday, at least as of now, is not destined to win this war that he's wanting to wage because he has the oldest sister read his coffee grounds. Well, that's just his fortune for today. Yes, which is, which is an interesting way of putting it. Again, Wednesday just kind of, you know, always... Yeah, maybe Wednesday knows that this mission of his is ultimately doomed, but um, not to get too far ahead of us, he's, he's scared, right? Like, we find out what his yep. biggest fear is later on, and so maybe even though he knows this, there's no good outcome here, he's just going to try. Right, or maybe his outcome is not what he's concerned with. Again, we talked in last episode about what Shadow's role is in all of this, and maybe you can make the argument that Wednesday doesn't want to win for himself, but wants to win instead for Shadow. And, and maybe that basically Shadow's, means just Shadow believing in him. 
and that's in all the power that, you know, he, again, we know that these people that he's involved with are, are very concerned about belief, whether it's the old gods or these new gods that he's been introduced to. We, we know that that's kind of what they're after. And again, this episode goes back in to this idea of belief. And I, I think we should, we should pick at that thread a little bit before we go into some of the other ones, because the rest of the episode outside of the Somewhere in America segment, which we'll talk about separately here in a moment, is about belief and what Shadow believes, whether it's in himself, whether it's in Wednesday. And we get the episode title this week, Head Full of Snow, based on this weird portion of the show where Wednesday is trying to convince Shadow to make it snow. Yeah. Um, th- 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 so there's like throughout this episode, we have them robbing a bank, right? And it's, it's split up into different scenes. But I think ultimately what Shadow's trying to accomplish there, apart from getting some money to continue their journey, but to show Shadow that things can happen if he believes. And so he has, he has Shadow think of snow. And I love, I love the, the, the Coco scene. He, he wants Shadow to think of snow, but like, so Shadow's, they're, they're going to rob a bank and Shadow's complaining. He's like, I've been out of prison for five days now and I'm going to be back in prison in six. I don't want to rob a bank. And uh, Mr. Wednesday cuts him off and he's like, I feel like, Co- you like cocoa? Let's go get some cocoa. And they go to the, the shop to buy some cocoa. And he's like, you like marshmallows? I, I got marshmallows for your cocoa. And, and in the middle of Shadow's frustration, he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I love marshmallows. Yeah, it's so weird. I'm trying to figure out whether they're trying to endear us to Shadow or they're trying I, 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 to put him at arm's are. length because he goes back and forth. Like sometimes... He's devoid of emotion, devoid of reaction, frustratingly so. And then in other cases like this, you're like, ha, he kind of made a joke. Like, I was really impressed by the way he handled Chernobog, and I was really endeared to him when he made the marshmallow, where he's kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like marshmallows. I, I think it's kind of a slow burn. Definitely in those first two episodes, you could almost, you could make the argument that he's being way too passive with all of this. Like, right. all of these things happening to him, and he's, he's taking it a little too calmly, and he's kind of distant. Um, but here, yeah, he had that strong scene with Chernobog. Um, it was fun to listen to and his, his renewed confidence there. And then just the little like thing here where it's like, yeah, he likes marshmallows. Yep. Even his interaction. So we get Mad Sweeney again in this yeah, episode. Yeah, Mad Sweeney. And Mad Sweeney, after we find out that he's still passed out drunk in a bathroom at Jack's Crocodile Bar, um, Jack has this hilarious scene where he's like, you, you could try to shoot me, but you're probably going to miss. The gun's going to jam, or maybe it'll even backfire and blow a finger off. And she's like, boom, and shoots the glass right out of his hand. Yeah, and then you see the look on his face like, what happened here? And, and it, I don't think he'd put it together in that moment. But then later on in the car ride, the guy picks him up. The old kids in the hall actor. I was, yep, I was looking yep, up. Yep, Scott I was like, Thompson. Scott Thompson uh, made an awesome appearance here. But man, we see just a brutal death there as he has some bad luck. And then, and then Mad Sweeney, I think, puts it together like he starts going through his pockets and realizes, oh my gosh, I gave Shadow the wrong coin. That was my lucky coin. Yeah, which again ties back to what the Zoria sister says the about the son and the daughter. And I think that's kind of our, our connection point. It's like, oh, there's something powerful about that coin, which we kind of know already. Offers some kind of protection, right? We're, yeah. We're, we're like uh, with that coin, Mad Sweeney obviously isn't worried about dying or getting hurt. No, no. So we've got this weird, like he clearly needs luck and believes in luck. And it's a little bit of a leprechaun luck of the Irish kind of trope, but that's what yeah. they're kind of going for. And so he shows up as they're planning this bank robbery that you referenced. And again, Shadow has an amazingly good interaction with Mad Sweeney from a, like an acting perspective, from a endearing you to him perspective, yeah. where he just is kind of a total smartass to I, the guy. I threw it away. Yeah. 
and it's great but again it's inconsistent with the shadow character up to yeah, this point it really and, is like they, they they can't decide how much we should care about shadow yeah and i don't know if that is bad acting I think there's a lot of people, you know, especially on Reddit, that are attributing to this being Ricky Whittle not necessarily being a great actor for this role. But I also I, remember when I read the book that Shadow was just a bit awkward to a point where it wasn't necessarily fully believable. Yeah, I actually read uh, a reference, someone saying that in the book he's even more distant than he is here in the movie. So I think that was a hard decision that the directors had to try to make is how distant do we make them? Because if we make him too distant of a character, a book you have, you know, an entire book to, to explain a character and get, and get that character out. But in a movie, like in a TV series like this, it's going to be a little bit more condensed. And I think they had to make the decision of how distant should we make him? If we make him too distant, people just aren't going to like this character. Right. If shadow doesn't get his, you know, shit together until like episode seven of an eight episode season exactly people have already kind of checked out at that point episode three seems like a good spot for that i don't know it, it, he's trying yeah he's, he's, he's he definitely trying. is so and and i have the one thing i have to say about that death scene did they have to make him make that gurgling sound of course because it was a pipe going through like his throat and so he could still breathe just a little bit through the pipe and it was just disgusting oh man the poor guy he was just like i'm trying to help out this drunk and see what happens has happened to me so that obviously sends mad sweeney nuts he goes and he finds shadow shadow tells him where he threw the coin away and then we we'll, we'll get to that in a minute but we yeah sweeney. we find out that he tells he tells mad sweeney that it's it, he left it on the at the cemetery on the grave of his of his ex-wife yes yes exactly. or his not ex-wife his former wife his former wife deceased deceased wife yeah. she's like the parrot in the monty python skit yeah that parrot <laughs> well if we're making random references random references <laughs> i'm gonna call you out and say i don't think that was really monty python i don't i don't know you, you clearly have no idea so let's get back into it. so uh, we're back to this whole does shadow have power is there some power in shadow or is wednesday projecting the power we think he may have through shadow and this whole episode and this whole concept of the snow which ironically seems not necessarily need to be part it's not necessary to this bank yeah, robbery the snow plan didn't to work. play like a huge role no. other than i guess that was the conceit behind the atm going out of commission but i i don't even know if that was the case they could have just put those signs up even though it wasn't snowing I'm not entirely sure. Other, yeah, I don't know if other the point was, was like they're frozen. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not sure. Other than, other than Mr. Wednesday wanted to give uh, Shadow the opportunity to believe in something and then see it come true. And that seems like the stronger case here because I've heard some some weak corollary saying things like, "Oh, well, you know, the police were more likely to feel bad for an old man stuck out in the snow having to collect this money, so they yeah. were they're going to move on quicker." But the, the ATM's out of order because it's frozen, you know. But they're all seem weak. Where it seems like more of this is an excuse to give Shadow again a reason to believe. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's definitely what's going on here. It, it, Mr. Wednesday was giving him something to do to take his mind off the actual robbery. It it played a number of roles. I think it was just like a smart play on Mr. Wednesday's part. Like we need some snow to create some cover, maybe for the bank robbery. It's going to let you focus on something else. And and hey, it's going to start snowing. And it's going to blow your mind. Yep, and that's exactly what happened. And, and Shadow wasn't exactly sure how to feel to the point where I believe he asks Wednesday, "Did I make this happen?" Yeah, did I make the snow? And Wednesday again, always like like always, he has like a great response. I can't remember exactly what he says. He's like, "Well, if you believe you can do impossible things, then you'll go about the rest of your life knowing that you can do impossible things." Yep. He uh, there's again, and you mentioned this earlier, but they're in this car ride 
after they've successfully robbed the bank and it's snowing and they got yeah their, they're their counting way. their money and he pays he pays shadow with, with the with the uh, stolen money which is funny because he made a comment earlier about how but I'm paying you with stolen money. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all the money. Where do you think it's coming from? <laughs> yeah. So Shadow, who's been trying to kind of convince himself that he's somehow gotten into bed with this man who is unscrupulous, but is somehow not unscrupulous himself. And Wednesday's kind of like, no, you know what's going on. Like You're still breaking the law. You may not be. Yeah, we're in this together, man. Yes, yes, exactly. So we get this little monologue where we get the, I, I think, another obviously strong hint from Wednesday that, you know, he's got some power here. He talks about how, as you referenced, his biggest fear is being forgotten, that he needs people to believe in him. And maybe that is a hint that this power isn't necessarily shadows, but that he's showing him, look at the power I can give you if you believe in me. Yeah, uh, that that could be the case. Because I've, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I've wondered, like, what makes Shadow special? Like, why is Odin interested in Shadow? And we talked about last episode with um, media. Like, why does everybody want Shadow? And maybe Shadow does have power. I, I, as someone who hasn't read the book, I don't know for sure if this was Shadow or if this was Odin or if this was something else. But there's something special about Shadow. We're not totally sure what that is yet. No, and, and it could go back to our original conversation from episode one where we talked about he's this man at rock bottom, right? He, yeah, he's the empty vessel. He's the empty vessel. He's the he's the person that can be built up from the ground. He's he's had everything stripped away. He's been laid bare, and maybe that's why everybody's kind of attached to him. But we haven't really had too much more to go on than that at this point. Is that we just and here it's hinting either that he's obviously starting to believe because Wednesday maybe this was Wednesday's way of testing how much Shadow believed because if he could get his power projected through shadow because shadow believed it could be that and that seems like a very strong you know potential piece of evidence it also could be the other thing we talked about which is just maybe shadow does have this power and that is why all the old gods and new are still interested in him yeah at the very least mr wednesday was able to convince him or able to uh get him to do something and that was think about snow yeah so he's able to get shadow to do that and i guess if you think about it Shadow has been doing every single thing Mr. Wednesday's asked him to do. Yeah, in the long he, run, even putting his happens. life on the line, he's still doing it. They still robbed the bank, even though he was very, yeah, very he was very against that. And but then as soon as that phone rang and he picked up the phone, he immediately jumped into what he needed. Knew to. exactly what to say yep. to play along. Yeah. So clearly, clearly, regardless of why it's happening, Shadow's starting to believe in something, and I think that's the point. And we're led to believe that Shadow was in prison originally because he was some sort of con man or thief himself originally, right? Yeah, and not to give too much spoilers away, but we kind of get another hint at that from the teaser for the next episode as far as like how he ended up where he did. But I think Mr. Wednesday's drawn to him because Shadow is kind of woven from the same cloth, as in like... He's a hustler. Gonna, yeah, he's a hustler, and they're going to work good together. Yeah, and that, that seems to be where it comes from. So that's kind of where that thread is led off. Um, we should talk about Mad Sweeney. So the episode obviously ends on a pretty large note in which Mad Sweeney goes digging relentlessly for his coin in Laura Moon's grave, gets to the casket only to find the casket empty. It's empty. It's empty. Um, and then he, we are you know, transported to Shadow going to his hotel room, and there is his wife saying, Hello, puppy. Hi, puppy. And by the way, 
I still don't. I remember. Is that what you call your wife? No, no. And it's weird. And I remember Hi, when, puppy. when I read the book, I found it strange and it doesn't sound any less strange coming it, out of her mouth on the TV. Yeah, show. I, I don't know. Maybe this is maybe there's lots of people that call each other puppies. Uh, but yeah, it's not like an endearing name. It doesn't it's not. I don't call my wife puppy. I don't know of anybody that does that. And it comes off a little forced. Like this is kind of a made up thing for a book or a TV show. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear if they explain it because in the books, they explain why she calls him puppy. Oh, uh, OK. Um, because I think there's a, a reason behind it. Then there were people who haven't read the book that actually because of the weird accent she uses and especially in the trailer, they thought hi, she puppy. was saying hi, poppy. Oh, you know, really? Like she was of like Latin descent or Spanish or, or Puerto uh, Rican or something of that nature. They need to turn on uh, captioning. Yeah, if you turn on captioning, you know she's I actually hi, I, I watch these episodes with captioning on now and it helps out a lot. Yeah, actually, like, oh, she's not saying hi, puppy. She's saying hi, puppy. Yes. So very weird, but clearly we are led to believe at this point that she is alive. It doesn't appear that this is one of his flashbacks because she's appeared to him before on episodes in flashback form. Yeah, and they the the show creators haven't tried to hide this fact. If you watched anything, any coverage about the show before it came out, you knew she was coming back because you saw her as like a zombie looking thing walking down the street. Yeah. Which she does not look like in this scene. However. No. So we're, we still don't know what, what was going on with like the zombie because it shows her just perfectly normal yeah. sitting on the bed. At least as far as we can tell. Yeah. As far as we can tell. We didn't get like a full body shot, but we clearly her face, she's got makeup and she's looking just she fine. She looks just fine. So we will see where that goes. But overall, uh, Shadow... Seems to be believing in something. We don't know what yet. We still don't know what this war is. Yep. We, we don't have any more details about the, all of the players and, and how exactly. I, I still wonder, how do gods fight each other? Yeah, we don't know. Or Other than even, with faith. Like, it's like, who can, I, who can I make believe in me? I got more believers than you have. Yeah, are, they that, bring, are they like bringing armies of followers? You know, because, you know, for example, if we look at like the Crusades, you could argue that the Crusades are like the perfect example of like a holy war over religion in which the gods, and I'll be interested to see if this gets referenced, but the gods brought their followers to fight, and that's how they carried out the battle on this earth. Yeah, maybe the battle is going to take place through people yes, and not and, the gods themselves Which, at again, all. Shadow's role, what is his role in all of this? Yeah, I don't know. Um, but not a lot. So, But that was the theme, again, throughout this entire episode is really just like Shadow's belief specifically. We were even less abstract than we were in the first episode. I think it was more about general belief, and you and I had a lot of conversations about the just general power of belief and worship. This was very much about shadow and shadows belief in something. Yeah. And I get the feeling that, uh, he's starting to believe yeah. at least a little bit. Well, we're led to, he, he made it snow. Yeah. He, he made it. Well, maybe, yeah, I get, maybe it was, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Already but, Santa Claus. But I mean, what, what's he going to think when his wife is alive again? I mean, like that's going to be another thing that's going to totally blow his mind. Has yeah. to. How did how did she come back? To how life? did she come Who's back? Responsible. The the lucky coin. Yes. Um. One one totally separate point. Even though it's not directly related to Shadow, I love the little bit about Jesus Christ. In, oh man, I, this this was one of my favorite exchanges actually. A Wednesday in the white Prince Jesus Center. is doing quite well. Yeah, white Jesus is doing quite well. I just talked to him. He's like, but what about Spanish Jesus? And yeah, Greek Mexi Jesus? Mexican Jesus. Yeah, an African Jesus. Yeah, I like chat. They were they were talking about Jesus, and he's in, and, and uh, uh, Mr. Wednesday referenced the white Jesus, and then Shadow's like, well, how many colors of Jesus are there? He's like, well, you got your white Jesus, your black Jesus, your your, your swarmy Greek Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? He's but like, the, the, the little reference to the Mexican Jesus coming over illegally. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Like, and he made the he made the. Probably hilarious, but also horrible wet back. He's like, oh, his yeah. back was as wet as it can come. Yeah, crossing the Rio Grande just like the rest of them. It's just 
I don't know. It was a funny exchange, and we haven't seen Jesus, but nope. obviously, I mean, like, there's several different Jesus players. Jesus, I love this Jesus. Jesus, multiple, yeah, multiple Jesus, plural Jesus. So I'm sure that'll get that'll be fun when that comes about and see how many feathers get ruffled. They certainly have had no problems ruffling anybody's feathers. Oh, they're not they're not shying away from race, talking about race of any kind. Yeah, um, and ironically, at least Anubis is probably going to be the least offensive of the gods that they introduce. <laughs> yeah, probably. Safe Anubis, thank you for being, you know, politically correct and moderate, Mr. Anubis. Yeah, thank you, Anubis. Mr. Jackal. Yes. Um, now that we've uh, talked about the least offensive part of this with Anubis, let's talk about probably, I mean, every episode has had kind of that shocker moment. We, we obviously, Oh, what's the shocker moment in this episode, Brian? Well, you know, I was really offended by the fact that, you know, those coffee grounds didn't look realistic. They really didn't. And I'm with you there. Like, I don't think those coffee grounds were real at all. It, it looked more like escargot. It was very, yeah, it was kind very of, poor. Yeah. Propping. Very, very poor. So let's talk about the gin. So we now know that this is the gin that we were introduced to in episode two. Episode very two. Briefly. Very briefly. Um, but but you couldn't miss it because of the fire. Yes. The yeah. So he goes through the diner and you and I speculated and maybe cor- it feels like incorrectly at this point, but that it was something tied to the buffalo. We now know that probably isn't yeah. the case. No, I, I don't think so. I think um, based on this scene, that's just part of what the genie is. He's Ifrit, right? I just know that from Final Fantasy. It's a fire god. (laughs) Yes. So the the djinn who is in a lot of Arab mythology is probably the the best, more general way to refer to him. You know, ironically, not really a genie, but how the Western world kind of views as a genie. And he makes the joke about like, you know, everyone just thinks I grant wishes. Yeah. He's like, I'm. If I if I could grant wish, wishes, do you think I'd just be working in this taxi cab? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to I had to clean crap out of the backseat for crying out loud. Yep. So we get this salesperson. I think the whole time the sales thing is going on. So there's this this uh, gentleman of of Arab descent, Salim. So it seems kind of a little out of place because Salim's on the sales call, but he he later references in the conversation that he sells like these trinkets, these touristy yeah, doodads. He's definitely not into what he sells at all. Yeah, but why is he like going to an office? And waiting all day for a guy to sell some like tourist trinkets. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. No. Yeah. Thinking about it, like it doesn't, I guess it doesn't make a lot of sense. And unless this guy he was waiting to go see was some distributor and he wants to get his trinkets into a store of some sort. Yeah. That's all the only real thing I could think I'm of. stretching here. I yeah. Don't know. I, I really don't know. But none of that actually proves to be very relevant. We, we're, we're left. No. To think even though him. they spend a lot of time with him, with the clock and him waiting in that room, they spend a lot of scene time because i felt like maybe he was a god and, and I, that, I did too i was like who is this guy he was gonna get some comeuppance because she, <laughs> she ate was her gonna lunch. get a pull through the face yeah but instead none of that happened and he goes and he gets into a cab and the cab is driven by who we now know is the djinn which is the representation of of that mythological creature that we tend to associate with genies but obviously is more of like a fire type entity he has the fire of life inside of him yeah you just see he briefly takes off his glasses in the cab his sunglasses and you see the fire in his eyes yep what is interesting about this one is we are in modern times it it appears you know and this man salim instantly believes in this man he goes oh jen i have never you know what are you doing in this cat? He sees the fiery eyes. He talks about guy. his grandmother's belief in them or that she, she claimed she'd seen one before. Yep. Yep. The, they are in, in the, the desert. City, or in the, yeah. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he talks about the desert seeing one, but he's also like, I, I did not know that you were in the city. And he clearly believes from the jump. Yeah. As soon as he, I mean, he, he touches him on the shoulder. Right. And there's some kind of connection there. Yeah. Like the, the, and the guy's sunglasses kind of fall down. And you see his eyes light up. Yep. Yeah. He goes, oh, it's just you. And so it's very interesting because in, I think 
the worship of Bilquis is less about the love of a god and more just about the worship of a woman's body as it starts out and she's able to kind of transform the worship throughout the sexual act where in this case it's very much like i love you there's some romance there's some some physical and mental emotional connection between these two and he seems to believe from the very get-go yeah bilquist doesn't seem like she has any connection with the people she's with other than like the physical act of, of, of them worshiping her and getting her power. But these two, they, they kind of made it seem like there was a connection between them for some reason. Yes, for sure. And so what ends up happening is he kind of invites him. Salim invites the djinn up to his room um, and the djinn comes up to his room. The djinn. The djinn does come up. <laughs> There's a lot of comeuppance going on here. Oh, my good gracious. I, I think what is interesting is up until that point, we don't get any overtones that there's any sort of sexual nature to this this very quickly budding relationship it almost just seems like he feels sorry for the djinn and that you know he's been driving his taxi for a very long time he falls asleep in traffic and i'm of the impression that he's inviting him upstairs to rest yeah i think that i think just watching it from the get-go that's the kind of vibe i got as well is like oh like he's being really friendly they made a connection in the cab but it seemed more like of a friendship of him like reaching out in a friendly manner. Like you've been working for 30 hours. He referenced that he'd been working in a cab for 30 hours. He seemed sad, like trapped in this taxi cab and it invites him up maybe to go to sleep or something. Yeah. And he clearly knows that he's, he's a deity of some sort. And he believes he's just trying to be helpful. Yeah. yeah. Whenever you come across a God, you kind of want to be nice to him. I'd, I'd say, especially if you believe in him and he's got fiery eyes. Yeah, for he's sure. Gotta look out for those fiery eyes. Instead, we are treated to, to a little, you know, gay lovemaking. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess you could say that. It, it's so. Here's my. I have to How would you compare this scene to the Bilquist scenes? Here's my challenge with this scene, and it was almost made worse by the commentary from the producers at the end of the episode. I have no problem with them representing a gay relationship on the show. I have no problem with there being blatant gay sex on the show. None of that stuff bothers me one bit. Could care less. It feels forced for the sake of forcing it. In fact, they even reference at the end of the episode where I think it's Fuller says, we knew that we wanted to, to represent a gay relationship in some way, and we knew that this would be challenging because it is a god who is of a a segment of people that tend to be very anti-gay and that is why they did it but that's the only reason why they did it it almost just seems like why did you do this i can i get did the, they force it in there just to to get equal rep, like sexual representation with the stuff they were doing with bilquist do you feel like it was forced in there for that reason? It could be and that's why I don't or, or is it or or did, what were they trying to correctly depict what was in the book? Because that's what they claimed with the Bilquist scene is they wanted to depict it as written. Well, and that's the key to remember here is this stuff is not in the book. So while the Bilquist, oh, okay. the, there's no concept of they're doing this coming to America and, and, and you know somewhere in America skits to expand the reach of the universe in order to give them more to work with. So while the Bilquist scene itself is part of the story, in the books, these other things where they dive in with Anansi and they dive in now with Jin, those are not part of the book. So this is stuff that is fully depicted and created by the writers of the television show. Okay, I was under the impression that there was like 
this this gay sex scene of some sort in the book. And there is not. And I'm certainly forgetting it if there is, because I went back and looked and this is so and they and they referenced that at the end of the show in the in the the post credit kind of you know, commentary from the directors and the writers where they say, you know, we wanted to do this. We wanted to to present the gin in this way. And again, I have nothing wrong with it. I just wish they would have done it in a way that seemed a little bit more relevant to the story and not just like, hey, gin dong, fire gin dong. <laughs> he, he shot his fire load into him. Oh, now, my good gracious. Like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, like just a- apart from like the sex scene. Uh, there's stuff going on afterwards that I wasn't quite sure about as far as they like, he basically switches places with him Yes, at yes. the end. And, and you can talk about that in a second, but for, in my opinion, I, I, I don't, I mean, like if you can put whatever you want in your show, right? Like I, I, I don't care if you put the Bill Quist scenes in it. I don't care if you put the genie scenes in it. It's totally fine. I think all of it is a little over the, the top for my taste. What I want to see happen. There was a lot of, and this has nothing to do with the show writers, but there's a lot of good journalism that came out the week or two around the Billquist scenes to really help the audience understand the placement of those scenes, why they're important to the empowerment of women, and how it, it makes her a strong character and not just your normal run-of-the-mill stars HBO Showtime porn, right? And I think that was really well done. I was glad that was written because I think it proactively attacked a subject that was going to come up like okay yay vagina swallowing like please tell me what this has to do with anything and now we're in that same boat and i want to see journalists step up to the plate and tackle the same like give this the same respect or the same amount of time yes explaining why it was shot the way it was what this all represents what does it mean um there was that reddit thread you came across where it's like oh they reshot the scene because it wasn't gay enough and yeah and i didn't I, I wasn't going to mention that because I didn't verify that. I don't even know if that's true. Right. But it's again, it's going to show you this is maybe more susceptible. It's hard to tell this day and age where the, there's enough going on in gender as well as, as because sexual. what does that mean? It's not gay enough. And that's what and, and I don't I doubt those are the exact words that were used. The reason why I, I think it's important to point that Reddit thread out is just like we have kind of created a society at this current point where gender rights are a huge deal, so still are you know fair rights regardless of sexual orientation. And I want the media to step up and explain in a far better way than a straight white man could, just like we are not the best people to give commentary on why the sexualizing of a black woman is important to the show and the narrative. I want the journalists to step up and explain to the general audience why this scene is powerful and important. And it is a big deal because you have two men who are from a culture that tends to look down upon, you know, homosexuality. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, them, it's a powerful statement to make, but it needs to be more powerful than just the, holy shit. I can't believe they did that. It needs, or there's giant dong. Like my, my concern is that that's partly the reason it's here, which would be a concern, right? That they're, they're just doing it to, to have discussion about how graphic it was. Exactly. And like I said, it did not help when the writers come on after and like, we just knew we wanted to depict gay and gay in a culture that tends to not like gay. And it's like, it's got to be more than that. It has to be because you can't put a scene like that that is going to elicit those kind of responses like you've done in the past. You have to hang it on something that gives it some meaning and some power beyond just like, hey, look what we did. 
Yeah, and and where I was struggling, and and perhaps you can put like shed some light on this with some context from the book without giving away too much from the book. But I was struggling for um, the the narrative implications of this. Like, why did they switch places? Was like I, I read a little bit uh, that the taxi might have represented like the genie in his bottle, and then right. and then this scene was basically the genie escaping the bottle, and now this this salesman is trapped. In the taxi cab, but sort he of seemed thing. to be very happy to be trapped. Yeah, he's, I mean, like he put on the glasses. I think he he was happier to be in that taxi cab than he was selling whatever trinkets he was. And I think that's the point now. And and I think it's still up in the air. Did they trade places? Th- that I don't know. I mean, or did he just help free him? And he's like, hey, thanks for the suit. You're looking kind of dapper. Uh, that that could be the case. Like I don't know if 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 they're actually traded places and like one actually looks like the other at this point, I, I don't know. And we don't know the narrative implications because again, the, the roles of these gods are <coughs> the roles of these gods are being expanded for the television show. So we really don't know necessarily what this is going to mean for the long-term narrative of the plot. But that makes it fun, right? It Especially does. for people that read the book. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes it more interesting for us because we're like, Oh, you're not giving everything away. So that's good to know. So, this is going to be one of those scenes, and what it's telling here is the Billquist scene, regardless of what you think about it or how it was depicted, was part of the book. This is the writer's first, not the first time, they've obviously taken a lot of creative license with the show, but this is the first time they've hung it on one of these type of scenes. Um, the Anansi scene being another one, but the Anansi scene, ironically, despite as challenging as it was emotionally and, and culturally, it wasn't done with the undertones of graphic sex for the sake of graphic sex. And this is very much of the same Bilquist vein without necessarily having the bigger statement to make that the Bilquist scene potentially made. Yeah, I just hope it's not. it wasn't for the reason of we know people are going to be talking about this and this is going to make waves just because it's so graphic. Like, I hope that's not the angle they were going for. Uh, there was, like, we saw... It was like a fun introduction. Like I think the taxi cab scene itself, like when they were in the cab and them talking was very well done. Uh, the sex scene, uh, people are going to go different ways with that. Um, but them changing places, we're going to see how that plays out afterwards. Yeah, if it has any meaning at all or if it just turns out to be the reason why he was wearing the suit in episode two. Yeah, I was, I was about, that's about where I was going to go is now we know why because these vignettes have been bouncing back and forth in time, right? Yep. So this obviously took, took place in the past because in episode two, when they're in the cafe, we saw the gin with that suit on. Yes, yes. It, it looks exactly like it. So we're assuming at this point that that is the suit. And this happened after he'd already freed himself from the taxi cab. And he's out and about. And Mr. Wednesday's recruiting him. Yep. For some reason. We don't know why. He's going to, well, maybe he won't grant him a wish. But maybe Mr. Wednesday's looking for a few wishes. Yep, yep. So a lot of threads to see. Very interestingly, like we now need to know what's going on with Bilquis. We know that she's going to play a larger role, but we don't yeah, know We what. didn't see her at all. She's had episode. no direct interaction with any of the characters in the current timeline that we have been shown. Um, we don't know what is going on with any of the new gods at this point. We saw uh, something that Redditors found that I thought was interesting is there is a silhouette of a man wearing a top hat that is seen as they're leaving the bank on the security camera, as well as that flash of an eye. We don't know what that eye is. Yeah, I, I took that as uh, the top hat shadow as uh the world and the eye as media so basically showing like the two new world gods are are watching every move here yep i saw some people say maybe that was technical boy it could have been technical boy and you know it's a security camera yeah we don't know and to remember the audience who hasn't been following the showtime press materials doesn't know about the world yet 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really hard to miss. But I, you know, there is a lot of people out there that aren't watching any of the commercials or anything else, and they're just, you know, every Sunday watching the show, and they have no idea who a man in the top hat would be. Exactly. So we've got that thread for people who are a little bit more just grounded in what's going on in the show. We obviously need to know what's going on with Laura Moon, and as we saw, kind of from the post episode teaser, we know that we're going to get a lot of that in episode four. She's clearly back in some way, and we don't know what that means. So there's, there's, and again, the gin. We don't know like where that's going to come or this is going to be a lot like Bill Quist where we find out these things but we don't actually know at least at this point the impact of that and then obviously Mad Sweeney is got to know that Laura Moon's alive and he doesn't know what happened to his coin is his coin gone is it consumed yeah I, I don't know his coin is gone and she's alive so she's definitely under the protection of something at this point yeah so I guess we'll see how all this plays out how do you feel about uh just how the story is building up in general. We were complaining before about it always ending on cliffhangers and not really giving us much to go on. I, I still kind of feel that way. It's it's introduced. We still get great dialogue, great scenes, and it's introducing more characters. But man, I'm really anxious to know about this war and what's in Wisconsin. And, and we don't know. And I think that's the frustrating part because these aren't cliffhangers in the traditional sense. It's not like oh, we build all this stuff up and then what happens. Like we're not left with is is Shadow gonna die? We we didn't get the Shadow S cliffhanger. I think the cliffhanger is the, the television audience at least at this point has no effing clue what's going on, and that's the cliffhanger. Yeah, it's like yeah. We're, we're still no explanation. We, there's still just no explanation. We just know there's gonna be a lot of Laura Moon yeah. in the next one. So we'll see what happens with all of this uh, with Laura, with with Mad Sweeney, potentially with the Jin um, in the next episode entitled Get Gone. Last night 